G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. David actually makes pretty good geocaching caches. And one of these was hidden inside a tree trunk deep inside. And it had a cable tie attached to it. And so I contacted him and told him that I really liked that idea. And that was how we started was because of cable ties and admiring the construction of the geocache. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we're going to learn about the modern hobby of geocaching and the creative ways it can be used to share your faith. And to talk about it, we have two people who are deeply involved in this hobby. One could almost say they're obsessed with it, Maria Go and David Nisbet. They're having a chat and sharing the story behind their involvement in geocaching with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for having me as well. Glad to have you with us. And let's go right down to basic number one. What is this idea of geocaching? What is it? Well, geocaching can be described as a kind of uh, treasure hunt, except that when you find the object, all you do is you sign your name on the logbook and you replace the cache itself where you found it so that other people can enjoy the fun that you've had in looking for it. Okay, so let's break this down. Cache is kind of a modern term for treasure. So that's what you're looking for. The, the little thing that you're looking for, a little box or something, and it comes in various forms, is called a cache. So that's what you're looking for. The beginning of the word, the prefix is geo, which has to do with like GPS and coordinates and that kind of thing. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. So what is the geo of geocaching? The geo refers to obviously the Earth. And around the Earth, there's a number of satellites that send out signals. And those signals are received by smartphones with the uh, capability or a dedicated uh, GPS receiver that displays your, your current um, physical position on the Earth. Wow. I mean, that is really something. Now, all of us have like GPSs in our car, which tell us where streets are and where to go. But also some of them, some of the early ones also told you your exact GPS coordinates of where you were. Is that right? Yes, yes. That's right. And so yeah. if you have something like that, or you can even download an app on your phone that tells you the exact GPS coordinates where you are. Yes. then you can play this hide-and-seek game. Do I have that right? Yes. yes, the easiest way to access the game is actually to download an app called the geocaching app onto your smartphone because most of our smartphones have GPS already included in the phone so, and it tells you exactly where you are as well. Well, almost exactly, give or take 10 mm. metres. Oh, so it's mm. not to the exact spot, it's the general place. The general place because it's dependent on your smartphone's accuracy. The, the official accuracy using GPS receivers is actually three meters radius. So it gets you in the ballpark, but oh, not exactly so. where very it much is. So. Yes. so the idea, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea is for people like yourselves, because you have done both. You've looked, but you've also made little treasures to hide, called mm -hmm. caches. Yes. That's so right. the idea is to put it someplace, and then the people look up on their phone, wherever they are. Hey, there's one in the park next to me here. 
and then they can try to find it. In a nutshell, yes. There's usually a description of what it's about, and uh, the GPS readings will give you uh, where it is, and most apps will also give you a direction to walk in. So you're not blindly trying to work out uh, where to walk just by using the numbers on the screen. There's usually um, an arrow to point in the right direction, so off you go, and when the numbers get close, uh, there's usually a a distance uh, readout on the the screen, and when you get within a few metres, you're pretty well on the ball. And you start looking around. Um, and then you find the treasure. And you find the treasure. The cache. And basically, for those who have done it, quite a few, uh, you learn to uh, recognize signs of how things could be placed, where they could be placed. Okay, we're going to get into that mm. tricky bit. Mm. That's part of the hide-and-seek. Mm. But the basic mm. concept is finding these little treasures using a phone app or mm-hmm. a GPS signal that tells your coordinates. That's right. Or if you're really fancy, like David over here, he's got a handheld GPS thing that Mm. he's got. Yes. Which kind of looks like a little walkie-talkie. But now the cool thing that I've heard about, this is something that you can do as a family. Is that right? That's right. You can do it on your own or you can do it as a family. And uh, there's been a lot of... You know, from the feedback and the logs that people write on the geocaching app when they actually find something, it's just been really interesting to see how much fun parents and children have when they go out and look for the cache and the conversations Mm -hmm. that ensue from that. Yeah. Now, David, you do this with your grandchildren. Yes. I was up in the Hulls Gap area with my daughter and son-in-law and uh, grandson, Mm -hmm. and um, we decided to make a, a geocaching day of it. None of the kids had done this before, so a bit of quick explanation of uh, what it was about and where things are. And um, the wait kids, a second, did they think Grandpa was kind of weird? I mean, what, what's he up to here? <laughs> they always th- they always think I'm weird. Okay, so it wasn't out of character for you. No, no. Yeah. So, well, that's generally the case. People who don't do geocaching think that we geocachers are a bit mad and crazy. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I am certain to get that idea. <laughs> Because my family think I'm crazy going out in the bush looking for things. Little treasures. Yes. <laughs> Little treasures. Oh, oh, now, getting back to David's story here. Well, we drove around Hall's Gap looking for the various bits and pieces. And my daughter made the first uh, location alongside the local uh, reservoir. It was almost like a family race to get there. And uh, the GPS is saying the cache was within three or four meters of where we were standing. And she turned around and found it inside a, a hollow dead log. Oh, wow. And, uh, of course, my daughter, being my daughter, says, I found it first before you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little competition in the family. Yes. In fact, well, all the five caches of that day, every one of the kids found it. But I still reckon that uh, they would never have found it without my help. Oh, there you go. Now, the second last one of the day uh, was a fairly easy find from my point of view. Uh, And I found it, and the daughter found it, and the son-in-law found it. And I just said, you know, put the finger to the lips and said, it's there, don't tell Jack. Jack being my grandson. And we uh, gently uh, encouraged him to look in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And he came up with his uh, four-year-old sort of exclamation, found it, found it. Oh, and I bet he was really so excited about it, that. It was, uh, yes, it was his find for the day, and he was he, he was wrapped. Yeah, uh, he actually found one before Grandpa did, and <laughs> Mum did, and That's Dad wonderful. did. That's wonderful. Yes. So it's a really yeah. neat hobby, hide and seek, but in a modern technical way, and uh, just a great thing that people can do. But 
Also, as we're going to find out today, it can be used in creative ways to share your faith. So let's talk to you, Maria. What is your story? I was born in Malaysia Mm -hmm. and I came over to Australia as a student back in 1985. I come from a church background and when I was 12, I basically committed my life to Jesus and Mm -hmm. to being a follower. So I moved to Melbourne in 1991 after I got married and have been part of Crossway and Swanson Street Church of Christ and other churches. And how I got into geocaching was one day at one of my workplaces, I asked my friend uh, what she was doing with her kids during the school holidays. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm doing this thing called geocaching. And I said, what's that? And she explained it to me. And I thought, great, you know, something I can do with my kids. Yeah. How many children do you have? I have two. Okay. Uh, She's one, the oldest is now currently 21 and Mm -hmm. the other one is 16 or they will be in July. So you started this several years ago? Quite a few years ago. But at that time, I did not have a smartphone that had data and it was also very inaccurate so I actually you do? did it I used a tablet and a map so I would look for it you at were dedicated. home <laughs> <laughs> I would look for its uh, rough location at home when I had uh, Wi-Fi and then actually go out and you know look for it the hard way using clues and things that I had uh, picked up from the map from home it took me a while to find my first case but it was very exciting we should say that it all starts with you have to download that app yes. to know where these little caches or treasures are, yes. I was going to say buried, but hidden. Hidden, yes. probably a better way of putting yes. that. Yes, we don't bury it. <laughs> You're not allowed to bury them. No. Okay, against the rules. <laughs> so that started your hobby. Yes. Okay. Now, David, how did you get started? I had a requirement to use a dedicated GPS receiver for other reasons. My son-in-law's got a small boat and we used to go fishing quite regularly mm-hmm. and trying to find or go back to fishing spots. Oh, um, that's a good idea. So yes. if you found a good spot where the fish are biting. Take the the, yeah, um, the map coordinates and, and uh, download it into the GPS unit so you can return to the same ah, spot. Ah, okay. That's cool. But while going through the menu of the GPS, I found this geocaching option, which got me rather curious. So web search as usual. Uh, ended up downloading um, the program onto the PC, then downloaded the uh, the app to the smartphone and uh, went looking for my first cache, which was uh, along Dampier Creek, which is not that far from home, and uh, found it for the first one up relatively easily. And uh, I guess from then on I was hooked. And you, you go from number one to number two to number three, etc., and just keep going. And how many are you up to about now? I've got 320 last wow. count, which is not wow. high, but it's just progressing, progressing quietly. And you, uh, Maria, how many? I've got about 150 wow. at the moment. But uh, yeah, initially when I started the game, I had... I found four, but I stopped there for a while because I did not have the proper equipment. But then later on, when I had a bit more time and the proper equipment, namely being a smartphone with data Mm -hmm. uh, and a bit more accurate GPS, I got into it a little bit more. So the other side of looking for it is hiding a cache, and I really enjoy doing that. I think I enjoy hiding caches more than I do finding them. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with two people who are heavily involved in the modern-day hobby called geocaching, Maria Go and David Nisbet. We've just been learning about the basics of this hobby of hide-and-seek using a GPS. Next, we're going to hear how Maria used this hobby to share her faith with David. That and more when we return. The Story. 
If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guests today are two people who are heavily involved in the modern hobby known as geocaching, Maria Go and David Nisbet. As we've been hearing, geocaching is basically a type of hide-and-seek, where participants use a GPS to find hidden treasures, otherwise known as caches. Next, we're going to learn more about this hobby and how Maria used it to share her faith with David. Now, David, what was your experience with faith growing up? I obviously, by the accent, I'm Scots, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of gathered that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Presbyterian uh, through parents in Scotland, and we attended, as you would, uh, through the fifties, church very regularly. Um, I well, the family uh, emigrated to Australia late 1960, and arriving 61, and we continued into the local Presbyterian church. Still, 1962 saw us move to Springvale. We had a house, no car, and only uh, public transport or walk anywhere. And for whatever reasons, mum and dad just stopped going to church. No reason given. Mm. So uh, obviously, uh, I stopped going to church. You were still a child at this point? Still a child. In, in the, the early teens, basically, okay. yes, yes. God was there, but he wasn't front. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't front and center. He was just hanging around the background. Never really went away. Just not not a high profile. Adolescence years was, uh, as I've often said, a bit rebellious, a bit grumpy, mm. a bit argumentative. But as you do, you settle down after a while, and I just just became grumpy. That was life until, uh, silly enough, I bought this GPS unit. Yes. Now we want to find out <laughs> how the GPS fits into this whole picture of you coming to faith. Well. I set a, a cache in a park near my home and uh, it went through the uh, the review and publishing processes and uh, there was the usual rush of people to come and find it. it included a family group actually because I actually went across there the day it was uh, found and had a bit of a yarn with them. Oh, you just happened to be there when they found it? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then uh, one day I get a, an email through the app's uh, messaging service asking about my case and how it was constructed. It turned out that Maria was the one who was asking and uh, she was asking about cable ties or zip ties. Oh, okay. Well, Maria, let's <laughs> hear your side of the yeah. story. David actually makes pretty good. He, he comes up with very creative geocaching caches, the containers themselves. So he's good at hiding these uh, little treasures. Yes, good at hiding them, also creating interesting, you know, boxes. And one of these was hidden inside a tree trunk deep inside, and it had a cable tie attached to it so that you didn't actually have to reach all the way down to the very bottom. Well, that was nice of him. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, because I'm I'm afraid of spiders and creepy crawlies. And I thought, oh, that's a very good way of hiding something deep inside a a tree trunk without, you know, and you save somebody from being bitten by spiders and other nasties. (laughs) (laughs) Because all you had to do was, you know, find that cable tie. And so I contacted him and 
uh, told him that I really like that idea and I might even use that idea for future cases. And in fact, I have done that. And that was how we started was because of cable ties and admiring the construction of the geocache. So I'm just noticing here that you kind of went from searching for the treasures to being the barriers of the treasures. Well, not barriers. The, you don't, you, uh, the, the hiders, hiders yes. of the, the treasures, the little caches. Mm-hmm. And so you admired the way he hid his cache. Well, actually, the construction of the cache to make it easy for people to actually pull it out of the hole that it's been hidden mm-hmm. in. So I've actually seen, I've gone on to find a few more caches since then, and I found that, hey, that's actually an idea that quite a few people use as well. Attach a cable tie to mm-hmm. a cache so that you can hide it deeper into its hiding space and you guys you just are just have really to find, into this. <laughs> yes so when you see the cable tie you pull it and out comes the cache with it yeah yeah so i've actually well, good on you david you're did you come up with that the, yourself the, 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 yes oh, well, as far as i'm concerned i did <laughs> the, the cable ties i use are black ones and if the cache is in a, a darkish area the, the, the tie itself tends to blend into the background um, but with a bit of gentle feeling around where you think the cache is, and you, if you've come across the uh, the cable tie, it's just like fishing. You, you just pull the thing out of its hiding yeah, hole. So there's some creativity involved mm-hmm. in oh, making yes. a good cache. And I think because I don't actually spend a lot of time in Bunnings or places like that, <laughs> so I was not actually aware of black cable ties. I'd only seen white ones. So you're starting to correspond? Then what happened? Yes, yes. we were corresponding. Could I have some cable ties, please? <laughs> Oh, oh, she actually asked for some. Yes, uh, yes. Well, my recollection yes. was that he offered. Well, <laughs> I'll have to go back and check our text. <laughs> it's whatever. Same, same effect. I offered a few uh, cable ties and went back to the original cache that uh, where I'd set it and uh, tied them onto the original cable tie and sent a message back saying they're there. You know, anytime you're ready. The only thing that was running in the back of my mind was that another cache would come along, find the cache, and, and uh, uh, remove the extra cable ties and take them home. But no, Maria found them and took them away, and uh, I think you said thanks eventually, or you, well, you would have responded anyway. But uh, yep. yes, uh, so that, that's um, All right, so that's basically how we came to meet uh, electronically, if you like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe as I was going to pick up the cable ties, I was at the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, it reminded me of like a dead drop. But then I've been watching too many spy movies, <laughs> I think. I think a lot of you <laughs> geocachers have been watching a lot of spy movies, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen the way you hide some of these. It's right out of James Bond. It's really cool. Okay. So, how did this progress to um, eventually inviting him to church? Good question. Um, we were trying to work out we, how that we, we, all connected. And I'm wondering whether because I might have mentioned that I was on Facebook and on my profile I mentioned that I had written a book mm-hmm. of Jim, an Australian hero, which was a centenarian mm-hmm. and he was born in Australia. And So you're a writer? I'm a writer, a self-published book, Jim, an Australian hero. Mm-hmm. And I think... That might have prompted David to go look up that book and it's available on Google Play Books, which you can get sample pages of it, mm-hmm. not the whole book. And I think he enjoyed reading it. That's and that up. was how we connected a little bit more on that level was through a book I'd written. And that was probably the next point of connection. And this book that you wrote is yes. about a Christian person. It's about a guy. Yes, mm-hmm. a Christian. He also grew up 
going to church, but then in his adult years, he drifted away. Oh, the guy but that you wrote the book I about. I wrote a book about, yes. His name's Jim. Jim. Jim okay. Collette. So you read that book, David? Uh, yes, I, uh, as Mary said, uh, it was on her Facebook bio. I uh, went and searched it and found the, uh, um, a snippet, if you like, and mm-hmm. read it and thought, it's not a bad book. I can relate to what's happening to his life. Bearing in mind, I've been in Australia since 61. Um, I've heard my father-in-law talk about a few things in the past, and I can write to what he was saying. Maria had the book uh, for sale, so I bought it from her. Mm. And uh, so the uh, the first meeting basically was uh, a knock on the front door. Here's your book. Oh, you went to his house? Yes, dropped it off. Oh, okay. Yes. The book is also available in bookshops, but then I had some available, so I thought, yeah, give it to him at a discount. Oh, oh <laughs> good on you. I mean, he gave you the cable ties. It's the least he you did. can do. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of context about Jim. He was born in 1902 in Maryborough, mm-hmm. and he passed away when he was 104. So he lived through quite a lot of major events in Australia. Now, how did you come to write a book about his life? Uh, Jim and I met in Swanson Street Church of Christ, and he used to tell us little snippets about his life story, which Mm -hmm. just sounded so fascinating and different, you know, different, because he was born in 1902, and the things he lived through, his experiences were uh, so strange to us, in Mm -hmm. a sense, because, you know, in our present day. And people kept saying, oh, we should write down his story, somebody should record it. So, looking around the people that knew him and the people in Jim's life, we, I couldn't actually identify anyone who might like to write it or had mm-hmm. the ability to compile it. And yeah. I felt, well, I had the time. I was probably, from my background, I was probably ideally suited to undertake such a project. Mm-hmm. So, it was an ongoing project for many years because it sat on a back burner because of work and... But you are a bit of a writer yourself. Um, I've always enjoyed writing. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, when I was growing up in Malaysia, my favorite subject was essay. Oh, okay. Uh, this is in Malaysia, where English is not people's first language. And I would say to my class mates, you know, that's my favorite subject. And everyone would think I was crazy because mm. they hated it. They hated essay writing. But I've always loved writing. Mm-hmm. and reading books, and it was a childhood dream to actually write a book. Annie Blyton was my hero in those days, mm-hmm. <laughs> a children's book writer. And so I aspired to be like her. And I think writing has always been a dream of mine, and mm-hmm. I've always loved writing. So I undertook this project and started compiling Jim's story and putting it into some shape, but because it wasn't like a formal undertaking, more like... I would go and visit Jim and he would tell me stories. I would record the stories and um, on tape or just take notes, go home, transcribe them. And there was no chronological uh, format or anything. Okay, and if somebody's listening today and wants to read that book, what should they do? Um, well, you can go onto my blog page and look up Jim and Australian Hero. Just a blog page with sample pages, and you can find links on it. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Google Play. As so well. just look up the name uh, of the Jim, book. The name of the book is Jim and Australian Hero. And look up my name, Maria Go. Go is spelled N G O, and you should be able to find it. So if you just Google my name and okay. the title of the book, you'll find ways. Okay, and so that's what you did, David. 
I did. I read, that book? I read the, uh, for lack of a better word, the transcripts on Google. I enjoyed it and uh, contacted Marie and bought the book and read it cover to cover, almost, in, well, not quite one sitting, but certainly uh, very quickly. Uh, but it stirred something within you regarding um, your faith. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Jim received his Bible from his wife, Beth, if I remember rightly. And um, that was the start of his uh, journey. Okay, um, we're going to stop it right there. So that was the beginning of your journey, your spiritual in a, in journey? In a very small part, yes. I okay. hadn't got to the stage of where I am now, but it probably started to kindle things a little bit. Okay, we're going to stop you right there because there's more to the story of how you come to faith and also how you both hide things <laughs> when you're geocaching a hobby. So that's uh, the end of our first conversation with Maria Go and also David Nisbet. So we're going to continue this conversation next time. Are you happy to come back to share more of your stories? Yes. Uh, yes absolutely. Yes. Look forward to it. Okay. As we just heard, there's more to this story. But we've run out of time for today's program, so we invite you to join us again next time to find out more about this modern hobby known as geocaching and to hear more of how Maria Go used this hobby to share her faith with fellow geocacher David Nisbet. We'll find out other creative ways she's using this hobby to share her faith next time. Meanwhile, to learn more about geocaching, the basic website to get started is simply geocaching.com. That's geocaching.com. Well, thanks for joining us for this first part of our conversation with Maria Goh and David Nisbet. Until next time, when we'll hear more of the story behind their hobby, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I remember that time when I was out geocaching one Sunday morning when you texted me and said, what does he left the 99 mean? And it was relating to a song. And at that time, because I was geocaching, I thought... Are you talking about geocaching or a song at Crossway? <laughs> you know, when I found out where he was, I was literally jumping up and down for joy. Maria Go is heavily involved in the modern hobby of hide and seek with a GPS, known as geocaching. And she's using this hobby to gently share her faith with fellow geocacher and friend David Nisbet. We'll hear more of David's journey to faith next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 